This is a MacKillop Farm Management Group podcast. We acknowledge and respect the traditional owners of the ancestral lands, Potterwich to the north, Jawajali to the east, Bowendick to the south and Meetung to the west of the Limestone Coast region. We acknowledge Elders past and present and we respect the deep feelings of attachment and relationship of Aboriginal peoples to country. Welcome to The Prosperous Farmer, a podcast telling the stories of farmers in the Limestone Coast and Western Victoria. I'm your host, Meg Bell, and today I'm here with Soils Consultant, Dr Melissa Fraser. Welcome, Mel. Mel's worked extensively over the last eight years exploring ways to overcome constraints in the region's soils. She's passionate about restoring soil function to ensure a healthy future for farmers, consumers and the environment. And today's podcast episode is part one of a two-part series examining soil acidity. Mel, can you tell us a bit about how you came to be a soils consultant? It was a bit of a fluke, actually, Meg. It's not something that I dreamt of as a little girl. <laughs> I, I was born into a farming family in the Mallee. I actually grew up in Adelaide, did all my schooling there after, after leaving the farm. And I wasn't sure what I wanted to do, actually, when I grew up. I probably still don't really know what I want to do when I grow up. <laughs> but at the time, I wasn't sure when I finished school, and so I ended up working on a farm with my auntie and uncle for a year on the Air Peninsula. And that was a really great introduction, I guess, to agriculture and felt really natural to me. So I ended up completing a Bachelor of Agriculture at Roseworthy, the University of Adelaide, but also at the University of Guelph in Ontario and Canada, which was a really great experience. I came back into the beginning of the millennium drought and wasn't sure again sort of where to go from there. I ended up in Queensland working on a farm, which was which was excellent. It was the start of sort of, you know, no-till and, you know, guidance and auto-steer and the real sort of next phase, I guess, an adoption of precision ag, which was really exciting. And then I went out and I worked at St George for the department, actually, of Prime Industries out there. And I learned about agricultural extension. And it was really then that that I, I love farming and agriculture, but I also really like this idea of being the conduit of information, of research information and outcomes, and being the person who could convey that and translate into practice change on the farm, actually, you know, communicate and work with farmers to help them adopt new practices. And I realised at the time that if I wanted to do that well, I needed to understand the world of research better. So I ended up back in South Australia in 2005 to do my PhD and I was lucky enough at the time there was there was interest and and a project going down here in the limestone coast looking at the saline sodic and alkaline soils and I guess the expression of of constraints in those soils after they were drained at Colira so that was a great experience I then ended up in the Northern Territory and worked at the research station in Catherine up there for four years and I was back here for eight and a half years with the department as the soils consultant with Rural Solutions and I'm absolutely stoked to just be wrapping up the first five months of soil function consulting and uh, really grateful for the opportunity to keep working with the soils and the farmers in this district. A really interesting story and we're very glad to have you here. Why do you like working with the soils down here so much or do you? Yeah I do. I just think this is such a fascinating landscape you know from here where we are at the moment in Narracourt you know we're on the on the edge of the Kanawinka fault line and you know the east and the west Narracourt ranges which essentially popped up about a million years ago and now we have this beautiful record of the evolution of this landscape as we drive from here to the coast where you go over an, an old you know relic coastal dune and then you drive across an intergenal plain which would have been a Kurong like system you know somewhere between 800,000 years ago in our current day and and you can take this whole transect from east to west and you can see how this region has formed and as you go from the high spots to the low spots, 
you know, understanding the differences in the soil types and the vegetation and what this landscape would have looked like, you know, pre-European settlement and what it looks like now and how we farm it now and how we live in it now, particularly, I guess, now that the landscape is drier than it's ever been before as a consequence of both the change in our rainfall distribution and volume, but also with the artificial drainage. So it's a really, I guess, exciting place to work because we do have this diversity, such huge diversity in our soil types in a really small area, which is represented yeah, by evolution. And I just love that story. Yeah, me too. And every time I hear you say it, I find and remember something new. We know that soil acidity is a big constraint to cropping and grazing farmers, and particularly on sandy soils. Can you tell us a bit about what an acidic soil is? If we think about pH and what that actually represents, it's the balance between hydrogen ions and hydroxyl ions in soil. Well, in anything, actually. So pH, if a pH is 7, is neutral, it means we've got a a balance between hydrogen and hydroxyl ions. As we get more hydrogen ions, in this case in the soil, the pH drops and and the soil becomes acidic. Uh, Conversely, as we increase the hydroxyl ions in our soil, they become alkaline, the pH increases, and that's what we have down on our sort of black soils across the plains. They're naturally very high in calcium carbonate and and bicarbonates and that puts the pH up but at the other end of the scale is where we've got this excess of of hydrogen ions and it's important to understand that the pH scale is actually logarithmic so a pH of 6 has 10 times more hydrogen than a pH of 7. A pH of 5 is 100 times more hydrogen than a pH of 7 and a pH of 4 is a thousand times. So well, you might think, oh, well, my pH has dropped from 7 to 6.2 and then, you know, five years later from cropping it might have dropped to 5.8 and then, you oh, now it's down to 5.1. That's not such a big change, but because it's logarithmic, it's actually a really big change. Yeah. And we know that once um, it, it's much better to try and prevent acidity than it is to cure it afterwards. What are some of the characteristics of acidic soils? In our environment, I guess it's important to understand that our sandy soils particularly, a lot of them were already naturally acidic. And so some soils are more prone to express acidity than others. So our black soils, for example, that which are naturally alkaline, um, we actually can acidify those soils through our cropping practices, particularly now we've dropped the water table, if that doesn't come back to the surface to sort of replenish the ph if you like with with groundwater we can see those ph's start to drop even on our black soils but the sandy soils are particularly prone to the development of acidity if they weren't acidic to start with and essentially those characteristics have you know low water holding capacity low low clay content and low organic carbon and that means they have a very low buffering capacity so if we're in a soil with a really low cation exchange capacity which is an indicator of its fertility We know that those soils are prone to the very rapid development of acidity once we start to farm them. So what is it about farming that causes our soils to become acidic? Essentially, the things that really drive acidification in in our soils is product removal. So we remove a lot more product now than than, than how our soils formed. If you if you imagine back to the natural system, you know, prior to, to clearing, pretty well everything that, that lived in grew and ate and got recycled (laughs) back through the system you know it it ate there it shit there and it died there right and that's not replicated anymore in our systems okay so it's about product removal to start with so we remove a lot more product from our systems and we transport it somewhere else usually to a city right as grain or 
milk or meat or wool and it doesn't get recycled back into the, the environment that it was produced in. So that's the first thing is product removal. We've also got really good at removing a lot of products. So, you know, grain yields of, I think it would be fair to say, have at least doubled in the last 10 years. And the thing that's driving that is the inputs usually of synthetic fertilisers and particularly nitrogen-based fertilisers. So we know that ammonium-based forms of fertiliser, when we apply them to the soil, that just naturally from the conversion from ammonium to nitrate, where you take NH4+, so it has four hydrogen ions, and then we convert it into nitrate, we need all of that hydrogen which is released in that process to be taken up by a plant. And we know that we have excess hydrogen in that instance, okay? And so we're, we're actually adding hydrogen ions to the soil, which is driving that acidification. Now, if all of that nitrogen isn't, isn't taken up efficiently then we're actually we're driving it even further. So if it gets leached out or if we lose it through um, losses to the atmosphere, then again, we're, we're not balancing the soil back out again. So we, you know, we're driving acidification in that, in that case by using fertilisers. We also know that legumes can acidify systems too, or soils. So they, same thing, can release um, hydrogen um, ions into the soil. And those are, the, those are the major ones. And leaching as well. So if you're in a really sandy environment, again, we leach that nitrate out. The plant doesn't have the ability to release hydroxyl ions to neutralise that acidity. So, yeah, product removal, nitrogen fertiliser use, legumes in the rotation. Acidic soils can therefore cause quite a few issues in production. Why is having acidic soils a constraint for farmers? Essentially... When we look at soil test results and we see an excess in, in hydrogen, you know, a drop in the pH, what it's really telling us is that the soil is out of balance with its other cations, okay? So, we, so we, we're lacking calcium and magnesium and potassium and maybe sodium, you know, particularly in our sandy soils. The other major challenge is that as the pH drops, some of our nutrients become unavailable. So particularly things like phosphorus, for example, can get tied up in forms that then aren't available to the plant, either with aluminium or with iron or with calcium when the pH goes too high. The other thing that can happen is that aluminium can actually come into solution. Once the pH drops below 4.8 in calcium, the aluminium can come into solution, which is actually toxic to plant roots. And so they will actually stop growing through those layers of soil. And microbial activity can drop as well. Once the pH drops, you can imagine it's just too acidic, you know, for for them to, to, to survive and thrive. So it's not really ideal, you know, for them and the functions and the roles that they play in soil too. So, you end up creating a pretty hostile environment for plants and for microbes and reducing nutrient availability. Mel, some of that sounds a little bit scary. How can we help to rectify the soil acidity that we're, we might be experiencing on farm? The message here, Meg, is lime it or lose it. We know that, that lime is still the most consistent sort of solution to acidity. Um, it's actually lime is calcium carbonate and it's the carbonate component which actually neutralises out the hydrogen that's in the soil. You end up with a reaction which, which releases carbon dioxide and forms water essentially in soil. So you, you take that hydrogen out of, of, out of solution and s- supply a bit of calcium as a byproduct as well in that case. So lime is still... You know, I, I guess lime use has been increasing across the limestone coast over the last decade. It used to be really common as a as an ameliorant in soils and practices through the 80s and it dropped off in the 90s and through the 2000s and it's certainly back on the program again for a lot of farmers now. How widespread is acidity in our region? It's hard to put a number on that, Meg. I think 
though, if we think about the soil types that are prone to the development and expression of acidity, it's deep sandy soils on any of our, you know, the relic coast dunes between, or, or, you know, sand dunes that were, you know, beach dunes as the ocean has retreated across our region over the last million years. Those soils, if they're deep, particularly if they're deeper than 60 centimetres, we know that they'll leach and, and have low buffering capacity typically. So they can be acidic, not just in the surface, but in the subsoil. And that's often an acidity constraint which goes kind of undetected because we're not, not looking for it down lower. So I guess that's one of the messages with this too. So any of your deep sandy soils, clay loam soils, sort of Wolseley, Border Town, Pine Hill, those soils are also prone to development of acidity now. And again, one that can be missed because they've historically been alkaline, but through our current farming practices over the last 10 years and the changes in that in terms of product removal, nitrogen use, legumes in the rotation, those soils are actually acidifying in the top 10 to 15 centimetres. Our soils right through sort of Sherwood, you know, the stuff that's been clay spread or delved in the past, same thing, we're seeing acidity develop on those ones. And it's also you know, a naturally occurring and exacerbated constraint on any of the sandy soils on the plains kind of... Wattle Range, down around Kalangadoo to Malil in that patch through there. So I guess it can it can occur regardless of your position in the landscape, whether you're high or whether you're low. It's probably unlikely if you're on a black soil plain, you know, Bull Lagoon, Ferner, Conmara, down to Millicent. But again, if the water table has been down for a few years and and we haven't sort of had that flux of alkaline water back to the surface again, I think it's one to watch out for. If we're not sure if our soils are acidic you've talked about some regions that might historically not have had acidic soils but maybe that might be developing how do we measure how do we measure for acidity so the best thing to do is to pick up a ph indicator kit from the hardware shop or the plant nursery you know 25 bucks for a kit it's got two bottles in it one's a solution a universal ph indicator solution and the other one is a is a a powder it's barium sulfate and dig a hole you know that's the first thing to do is just to go and dig some holes around in areas if you've noticed that you've got areas of of good productivity and a patch of poor productivity that's the best thing to do is dig up dig a hole in each of those spots with a shovel or with a front end loader whatever you've got put that indicator solution just squirt it straight on down the profile and have a look through the top 30 centimeters and see how that ph changes if you get bright yellow and green colors with one of those tests on one of those cards then you know your ph is dropping at that point you want to take a soil sample and send it to the lab and you would sample in in the depths where the color changes so commonly we'll see the top five centimeters will be slightly higher in ph so it might have sort of purple and green colors and then we'll go to the 10 to 15 centimeter zone where we're putting a lot of nitrogen fertilizer and strategically extracting a lot of nutrients from as well with our crops and you might find a band of acidity developing in there and then if you're on a deep sand you might find acidity you know developing or or extending even further than 15 centimeters but if you took a sample zero to five five to 15 15 to 25 in this environment that'll usually pick it up send that to the lab and they'll measure the ph for you and they measure it in two different solutions they do one solution which is it's called a one to five so one part soil to five parts water or one part soil to five parts calcium chloride. And the reason we measure it in calcium chloride is because salt concentration in soil can change through the season. You know, in the summertime, your soil is going to be very dry and salts are going to be concentrated. In the wintertime, they're going to be very wet and they'll be more dilute. And so we can actually see a change in the pH and the reading you get back when we measure it in water if you've taken your soil samples in different seasons. 
the way we overcome that is to measure the pH in a salty solution, basically in calcium chloride. And then we know that that we kind of takes out that timing effect, if you like, and that you can have more certainty of those numbers over time. So we make our recommendations for diagnosing acidity based on a, a soil test from the lab, the pH measured in calcium chloride. We want the pH to be above 5.5 in the top 10 centimetres and definitely above 4.8 in the in the subsurface of our topsoils because once it drops below that 4.8, that's when we can see aluminium come in. So if someone's listening to this and they've never done a soil test before or they don't really know where to start, what what's the best point for them to start at? Who should they call for advice or how should they start to do some of that work and take some of those samples? I think the first thing to do right now is have a look at your yield maps. Have a look at your yield maps and, and see the variability. You know, if you have been harvesting um, grain crops, I'm sure you'll pick up differences in yield across your paddocks. And really you want to try and work out, well, what's 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 really driving and behind that yield variability? You know, your average yield for the paddock might be, you know, five tonnes, but, but it actually got to seven tonnes in some spots and was only down at three in others. Now, you might not see this so much in wheat, but barley is, is more susceptible to acidity and beans really strongly are, are impacted by acidity. So, you know, I'd particularly be looking at your bean yield maps. I'd then go back and I'd look at, at the NDVI, so the Normalised Difference Vegetation Index, that capture that we get from space usually once a week, which shows the amount of above-ground green photosynthesising biomass. And when you when you see that your NDVI in spring, usually from about September onwards, of September through to October, with beans usually you'll see it. When when that corresponds really well with with a yield impact, I would go back to those spots, dig a hole, good spots, poor spots use that pH indicator solution down the profile. If you see those bright yellow and green colours, take a soil sample, send it to the lab. So I would start with that just to confirm that you've got an issue. The other thing you could do then is call call your agronomist and speak to them about either zone-based soil sampling or grid-based or point-based soil sampling. There's a range of different technologies now where we can quite accurately map changes in pH across a paddock. You know, for $15 to $20 a hectare, it doesn't have to be a lot of money. And then we can actually zone our paddocks up, look at the pH, and then make really good decisions about our lime rates to treat that problem, which are targeted to the constraints and how they express in the paddock. Some really good starting pointers there, I think, Mel. So thank you. What are your key messages for people listening to this podcast? So maybe they're sort of beginning a soil journey. They might have just bought a farm or they might have been farming it for a long time and they're just starting to see issues crop up. Or maybe that's part of the way down the track towards managing their soil acidity. Can you dig it? Meg, right? <laughs> You've just got to get out and dig some holes. I think it's really easy for us, you know, for farmers these days to to travel across their big paddocks in machinery. So they're a few metres kind of removed from the soil and travelling at faster and faster speeds. You've really got to get out and dig below the surface and have a look. You know, there are so many things that you can pick up in terms of the way your soil is functioning by seeing smelling, feeling your soils, looking at the interaction with crop roots, where crop roots are growing, where they're not growing, why they're not growing there. And using some of those simple indicators, things like a pH kit to look at, at, you know, acidity or alkalinity. Are there soil animals? Have you got worms and ants and are there insects flying around? What's the general health of the ecosystem look like? 
you know, a penetrometer costs about $400. And essentially we use that tool to measure the soil strength. And so we can look for things like compaction issues in soils. You know, get out, try and assess the physical, the chemical and the biological condition of your soils, which you can actually do a lot of with your eyes and your ears and your nose. And a couple of really cheap tools like a pH kit and a penetrometer and a shovel, maybe a bit of acid if you're looking for an alkalinity issue. And, yeah, look at the way your plants are growing, not just above ground but below ground as well through that soil and... And then again, take some strategic samples and send them off so you can work out what's actually holding back, you know, productivity. So you can make good decisions about putting the right, the right products in the right place at the right rate at the right time. Thanks, Mel, so much for sharing your soil knowledge with us today. We always enjoy hearing and learning from you. And I'm looking forward to hearing more in the next episode. Today's episode is supported by MacKillop Farm Management Group in conjunction with Southern Farming Systems through funding from the Australian Government's National Land Care Program. Thanks for listening to The Prosperous Farmer, a MacKillop Farm Management Group production. You can rate, review and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter at MacKillop Group or check out our website at mackillopgroup.com.au. Thanks for listening and see you next time.